welcome back to you and I for the Kenai. We're back in the apartment today recording another awesome recovery story. We're really excited to have Roby with us today. Roby entered recovery on October 1st, 2018, coming up on two years now. It's super exciting. Three, three years? Three years, yeah. Right? Uh, three years in recovery. Mm-hmm. Two yeah. years off of heroin and... Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, awesome. Um, wait, so you got off of heroin and meth before you like went into... Like, how did no, that transition go? No, I went into um, Serenity House mm-hmm. in January 2016, and I... Um, I was clean for nine months, I relapsed, mm-hmm. and um, I went back into recovery like uh, after about a month, and um, right. I relapsed again before nine months, and then um, October 1st, 2018 is the last time that I used. Okay, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha, that, that's interesting. We just did a podcast with someone who had tried quite a few times and had relapsed and ended up... Uh, getting onto a program that really worked for him. So I'm excited to hear, you know, how, what your transition was like and, and how you got back on to the, the right track here. Um, I think, uh, I spent, I spent actually four months at Serenity House, my first, um, my first time in treatment. And mm-hmm. I got a lot of, uh, I got a lot of help. It was the first time I'd ever been an inpatient yeah, so it was all very new to me, and, um, you know, it's a really intensive program, and um, it's, I think it's only supposed to be 30 days, but I spent 90-plus mm-hmm. days there, and then I was in their intensive outpatient for about, I think it's like eight months, I was in, like, intensive treatment, and um, I had two counselors, and they just taught me so many things that... um when I did end up relapsing those two times, mm-hmm. it was like I immediately got help. Like I, mm-hmm. I just knew that there's no way I was going to spend any amount of time relapsing. You know, like at, well, and plus by the time I got into treatment the first time, I, w- I mean, I was like, I was near death. You know, so oh, it was yeah. like I know that any amount of time I'm going to spend relapsing, I don't have much time at all. Mm. And so those two times that I did relapse in, in between since 2016, it, they were very small, like mm-hmm. a month. I think the most, the, the second time was two months, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, it didn't really last that long. I just, um, the time that I spent at Serenity House and in the rooms um, in NA and AA, I mean, they completely framed my mind. You're either in recovery or you're you're like, you know, it's in bad news. You're, there's really nothing on the other side anymore. You know, like if you end up going to treatment, <laughs> you are not like a normal user, you know. Yeah, I mean, I had already been to detox and outpatients so many times. I mean, I really knew that, yeah, that recovery is my only way of life. Mm-hmm. And that's probably a big contrast from, you know, the years previous to 2016 before you had gone in where you're probably like in active addiction and thinking this is like my life. Oh, did you ever, was that thought ever yeah. cross where you're like, this is like, this is how my life is going to be. I think I spent about 15 years literally just signed over to the fact that that was my life, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, it's weird to think about now cause it's so different from you know where I am right now but it's like I you know for 15 years I literally thought that was the best that life could be is like 
the small hour window where I'm high. Like that is literally the only amount of happiness I was ever going to look forward to in my life. You know, mm -hmm. so it's like I cherished it. Right. You know, I cherished my addiction because that's the only sort of relief I felt. And, um, you know, so I could totally feel for addicts that are still using. Like I know that. I remember that feeling. Mm -hmm. But it's like it's all a lie, you know. Right. In your so, head, that's a lie. It's so interested that it starts as more of like a comfort, but then it kind of draws in your perspective to where you're just kind of focusing on that one thing and soon it kind of becomes consuming. Like it sounds like it didn't start out like that was the only happy part of your life. But then at some point, did you wake up and realize that, that this had kind of become the center? Um, it was gradual. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, at first, like when you're young and, um, you know, some people end up partying with their friends for the first time, or some people, their families are always drinking or drugging, you know, and my family was the type of family that, you know, there was always coke, there's always alcohol, there's always big parties, like, I just grew up thinking that was normal, you know, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, when I get old enough, when I'm mature, I'm gonna be, you know, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it was just one of those things, I'm gonna do because that's what grown-ups do or something and right mm -hmm. so after like because like you said it's 15 years of accepting this like of accepting this lifestyle right like this is how my life is going to be it's like what spurs you to even like really consider going to house or really even like considering recovery at all um the only thing i really had looking forward to was death like mm -hmm. by by the time I got to treatment, I was um, I was in and out of psychosis for like 10 years. I mean, I, it's kind of weird to start talking about it, about how, like, the worst part of my story is just, I mean, it's so weird to think about, but somehow I had went, I mean, not somehow, I know exactly how it happened, but I gradually went from, you know, using for fun to, I was completely like in and out of a psychosis for like 10 years. And, um, well, I had also, like, undiagnosed bipolar and schizoaffective disorder, but it was, like, mm -hmm. I, like, my addiction had just helped, you know, kept me so focused on myself. I didn't really see how it was affecting my world, you know, because it was, right. like, that was the only way I knew how to live. Like, now that I've been to treatment and stuff, I know that um, I had a lot of, you know, I had a lot of problems. I had a lot of traumas. I had a lot of, like... Um, a lot of problems that I just wasn't dealing with and I was using mm. I was using drugs as a coping skill it was my only coping skill I could see that now but yeah like I mean all through my addiction like when I think about it I see it's like okay I had no I had no coping skills whatsoever and I just I, I mean by the end I was pretty much just going into my own little world because I didn't know how to deal with anything on the outside Right. And, and, you know, by that time, it's like it didn't matter who I was hurting, mm -hmm. you know, and I, 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 was, I was hurting everyone around me, but it didn't matter because I was so emotionally cut off, which is actually where I wanted. Like, I, I loved that feeling of being in, in psychosis, you know, because mm -hmm. it was like I was completely cut off from everything. And it's not, I mean, it sounds really selfish, but it's like, that's where I wanted to be. That's yeah. where I was safe. It was like I had cultivated my own, like my own little safe area but um, it was like one of my counselors handed me this after I got out of treatment and it's like it's a picture of a house on fire 
Mm-hmm. And see, I, all this time, I when I first got out of treatment, I thought everything was normal. Kind of. I didn't realize how bad of a problem I had, yeah. you know, until I'm taking a look back and looking at wreckage and stuff. And mm-hmm. she's like, you're in this burning house, but we're going to get you up here. And um, when I really, okay, so I'm married and I have uh, three kids at the time. And... Mm-hmm. Me and Keegan's marriage, actually, he was using drugs with me for a while. And uh, he had always been kind of like the stable one, right? Mm -hmm. So I would go in and out of like bipolar manias or drug psychosis. But Keegan was always like our, um, he was always a rock. He's always going to be the one that just takes care of everything. Mm -hmm. Because by this stage in my life, I'm just really, I'm pretty much just the roommate in the back room using drugs all the time or taking away to different towns because I'd always go to Seward or Anchorage. Mm-hmm. I literally just would just pop back and forth to all these different towns. I was, the, the the really only thing that mattered in my life, like in my addiction, was myself and getting more drugs. And I always had to go to Anchorage. I always had to go to Seward. And um, another big thing I was going to say was it was my identity, right. you know, and um, yeah. I, like even after I got a treatment, I never realized how much of like um, being a drug user was my identity. Like uh, all my other friends were also drug addicts and drug users. Like I literally didn't know anybody that is not on drugs or drinking. Like there's there wasn't even anyone in my family that was clean or sober. Mm-hmm. So not only was it like an impossibility to think to really get clean, but it's like, what would I do? Right. What do those people do? You know, mm-hmm. so it's like absolutely foreign. Yeah. It's, yeah. To, it's like, a, like, who does that? <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> you honestly. know, like who just wakes up and is like, does everything. It was like, right. you know, like when I first started using meth and stuff, it was so I could have energy to take care of my kids, you know, or that's the way my brain rationalized it. It was like, yeah. mm-hmm. it was like, so I can get myself excited about this or to do that or to do crafts or take it apart. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it was like, and I always just had to have opiates because it's such a physical addiction. It just, it always just had to be there. And mm-hmm. um, the year before I got into treatment, it ended up, I mean, it, it had been bad for a really long time, but the, the year before I ended up in treatment, I started drinking. I, I don't know what made me start drinking. Um, I think it, it had to do with I was losing a bunch of family members. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds bad that I, uh, like, I'm not for sure, but it's like I'm so emotionally detached from everyone. Um, I really didn't even realize that I had lost them until I got clean because right. I wasn't paying attention to this kind of stuff you know it's Mm -hmm. like the only thing that mattered was my addiction and that last year I had lost like four um family members and uh and I also lost like a really good friend he died in jail he was actually in withdrawal Mm. and um I started like drinking a little bit of vodka every day along with I was uh taking four suboxins a day and probably doing about two grams of meth by myself and taking about six um, milligrams of clonopin, which it's like this stuff didn't like get me booming. All, all right. it did was made me feel normal. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, 
and I added vodka onto this and um, I don't know how that was like the straw that broke the camel's back but uh, I'm actually really glad it happened you know? right. I mean, I'm yeah. so glad I mean there's no way I could live like that anymore you know I mean mm-hmm. uh, we're living in a really crappy place everything everything really really sucked by the end of my addiction it was like living in a cabin with no water nothing uh, you know I was never in my right thinking mind or nothing and my husband kept telling me you know you got to get clean you got to get clean and actually we popped back and forth mm-hmm. um, he is lots of people say he's not an addict because he just up and quit one day but um he was using with me every day for a really really long time but he managed to just put it down and be okay and uh I I just couldn't. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just. Yeah, I'd couldn't. say you're. Pro- I'd say you're probably not the outlier there. I mean, yeah. You have to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he ended up putting it down, and I'm, I, you know, I'm continuing using, and you know, there's still like so much shame because it's like we had kids, and I happen to be one of those people who like didn't get their kids taken away, and it's like in a way, I'm really glad that I didn't, that Keegan was able to get clean. Right. But, um... Seems like there's a li- just seems like there's a little bit of, like, um... You see it with people who, like, survive cancer and don't change their habits. It's called, like, survivor's guilt, you know? Yeah. And a little bit of that, too, it seems like, I mean, um... Could be problematic, you know? Like, yeah. if you are one of those families that, you know, just is kind of toeing that line... Mm-hmm. And you don't, you know, you don't face these same repercussions that yeah. maybe some other families do. And that, like, you feel like you, like, looking back, probably maybe a little bit, feel like you probably should. Oh, yeah. Like, like, so how does, like, in your recovery now, like, how do you kind of, have you, how have you gone about, like, facing emotions like that? Because oh, that's heavy. Like, that's a, like, something to be, like, that kind of guilt is probably a hard thing to work through. Like, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, especially when you're dealing with, like, kids it's like Mm -hmm. I you know I never I I used to always hate my mom not hate my mom but I used to hate the experiences that they put me through you know I mean like I there's some things that I like one of my mom's best friends got murdered like in a coke deal at a house that we used to hang out at every day and um you know these experiences that I you know, in my head growing up, I'm like, I would never do this to my kids, and the, but I'm bringing my kids, you know, in houses when we're doing drugs all the time, and it's like, they may not have had, like, the same ex- experiences, but, I mean, mm-hmm. they've definitely felt like, I mean, their mom was always jumping different towns, always leaving them, you know, and it's just, um, yeah, it's just really weird to work through those feelings, but, uh, um, I, I felt really weird being in treatment and they're actually probably like 90% of the people had their kids taken away and I just like inside I'm just I felt really really lucky that I had my kids and um but me and me and my husband were actually split up at the time so it's like I did feel that losing my family I, I was completely split up split up with my family for over a year and a half and mm-hmm. uh but I'm really glad that I really needed that time for for therapy first off um I don't think I could have did it if I was worried about taking care of kids and actually I think right. that's one of the reasons I slipped so hard in my addiction was I was I had all these responsibilities I was getting no help I had no um no skills I had no right. like 
I had no skills to take care of anything. And it's like I thought the drugs were helping me, you know, get everything done. But really, it just, I mean, I, I had end up using it until I'm, I'm like Gollum. Right. You know, and it's yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm Gollum and like my world is totally burning up. But, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, you know, uh, when I, I, I was so thankful, like, you know, when I, when I got reunited with my family, I, I, I just had so much help at Serenity and, uh, I had two of the best counselors. I mean, they were so, and they were really amazing. Like they were teaching me things that I really feel like I should have learned when I was like five years old. But mm-hmm. it, I mean, it's so weird, like about the feelings. You probably had people talk about that a lot. Like getting in touch with your feelings and treatment, they make what you um feelings. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's yeah. such a weird concept, but it's like, you know, especially with a lot of people like in treatment, there a lot of people are uh, what's that? Adult children of alcoholics, right. and you have that mask thing that you do, and it's like, uh, like I remember when I, when they were showing us a feelings wheel and trying to figure out which feeling I'm supposed to pick, like what, like which one am I supposed to be? Because it's like, you literally have never felt like Mm -hmm. what, like checked in with yourself and like, what are you really feeling, you know? Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they taught us a lot of that, like, you know, really simple stuff, but it's really, it's really powerful, especially if you've never really had Mm -hmm. a, you know, chance to do that. The stuff that probably seems simple now that like, it's probably seemed pretty complicated when you're going through it, though. And I think that's part of, like, I mean, even if people are familiar with, like, the recovery process, you know? Like, or, like, maybe, like, say, hopefully somebody out there like this, like, you listen to stuff like this a lot, and you're like, man, a lot of this stuff sounds hard. It se- it's, like, recovery just seems hard sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think, like... Or it seems really childish, too. Yeah. Or there's lots of weird slogans that are just, like... You know, when you're not in recovery, you're like, why would I even want to, you know, go right. in that direction? That's just weird. Mm-hmm. Actually, the first couple of days in treatment, I thought they took us to a cult. Like, we went into our first meeting, and I'm just like, oh, man, I joined a cult. I was so <laughs> like, what, you know, I mm-hmm. like, what am I doing here? Right. Like, what like what I do to get in this weird situation? But. Right. I mean, just it the was way you said that was funny. You're like, like just like so accepting. Like, man, I just joined a cult. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, you're like coming from a cult too, because yeah. you're like coming from where the religion is is drug basically, and that's yeah. that's it. And you know, mm-hmm. you live in probably. I mean, what you mentioned was kind of a terrible situation, but to you, it was totally normal. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if they came into yeah. your world, they'd be like, "What the heck is this place?" Right. Yeah. And then same with you going over there. Like, dude, these guys are weird. It's cool, though, because everybody, you know, in the rooms has been exactly in my place, you know, because mm-hmm. I get, you know, I would wonder, I'm like, why is everybody so nice? And it's like, now that I am a, a clean addict, I totally know how they feel because they know exactly where you are when you walk in those doors, like, because mm. they have been there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and you know, when you're in that life, you can't see past your, uh, you know, you can't see past that. You can't really... Yeah, it's got like, those blinders on. Yeah. Only focus mm-hmm. on one thing. Yeah, and I think that's important. If like if there's anybody list anybody listening who's considering getting into recovery, like maybe one of the things is like like you just couldn't imagine like what those rooms look like or like what life on the other side. Like 
on like what other life looks like like I think it's super important to know that like it's once you get in there like into the rooms it and maybe you might have a different opinion but it doesn't feel quite so like at least I mean, probably at first it does but like after a few times it probably doesn't feel quite so like these people are weird why am I here you know like it's a lot of people who are in, in your situation you know what I mean like that are probably pretty relatable that are probably like I think the weird part is probably that they want to help you that's probably like for some people kind of weird like so with that you had mentioned earlier that you know you basically look forward to death in your in your addiction and then a lot of times you kind of escape for comfort and then, of course, the more you escape, the worse it gets, because usually stuff doesn't just go away, you know. But then it sounded like, uh, even before we were recording, that you got to a point with the brink of death. And I was wondering, where was it that you were you were looking forward to death, but then when you kind of confronted it, you changed your mind? Did you just not realize there were other options, or how did that turn around kind of happen? Um, I was going to say to you, I also had like undiagnosed mental illness or it wasn't undiagnosed. I had been um, in Fairbanks, we call it the fourth floor. It's like API, but for Fairbanks. Oh, okay. And I kept um, just, I'd, I'd have like kind of normal parts in my life where things would be kind of going fine for a little while. And I was like a, a what's that, a functioning addict. Mm hmm. Things would be kind of going normal, but actually, I, it was like I was in a robot mode. And I think it's a, a adult children of alcoholics mask thing where you kind of pretend like everything's normal, but inside it's really not. Mm -hmm. I'd go for like a, a few months of, okay, um, everything's fine, I'm taking care of stuff, but you're kind of really neglecting, like, I would, I, I would go into manias, like mm -hmm. bipolar one manias, and I... But I never really believed I had a problem. So I wouldn't really be looking at these signs as go get help now. Mm -hmm. I would be like, you know, that meme where everything's on fire. And he's right. like, this is fine. It's like that was my life. Right. For, you know, I'm like 17 years. That was my mm -hmm. life. I'm fine. And, and then it's like I would wake up in the fourth floor. And I'm just, you know, how am I going to get out of here? Or, you know, how am I going to just say to get out? Because inside mm -hmm. my mind, I really never thought that there is something wrong with me or I'm going to, you know, I need help or, um, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? You think you know everything. Mm -hmm. And. Kind of vulnerable. I mean, when you're in that situation. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, uh. All right, like with the bipolar and the 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 schizoaffective episodes, it was like I, along with my drug, has like the progression of it. Mm -hmm. It's like my manias and my loss of reality episodes were just getting closer together, longer, and um. After four times of being in the hospital, it was like, I I just felt I would just start rolling with them, you know? I would be like, all right, they have a start, they're going to end, and it's like, I just, I wasn't seeking help anymore, and it was like, um, oh yeah, by this time, I'm, I'm such a toxic person, 
literally nobody wants to be around me. The only friends that I have are are friends that are just as bad as me. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it's like there's no there's no r- real reason to get help. So it's actually that last year that I've just you know, um, when Keegan actually got help and I didn't get help and I was in this like cabin and like by myself the lights went off and actually I I really think I should have been put like in a 5150 or been put in the hospital Mm -hmm. at this point but um Mm -hmm. it didn't end up that way I ended up in Anchorage I popped down to Anchorage and um oh yeah I had tried to quit using how it progressed in my last year was um the doctor that I had it was a suboxone doctor and this is back you know before I was in recovery you know I I believe that there's some people on suboxone that are really trying to get clean and that are in recovery and I think that there's you know people that are going to use it to continue getting high and that's what I was doing at this point was um I you know I had suboxone I had meth I was still uh, doing heroin I was still taking a bunch of clonopin I was uh I was drinking four loco and vodka and like vitamin water bottles so I can continue just doing what my daily stuff and it looks like I'm drinking juice and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, life was just like unmanageable and I think the thing that completely changed everything was um, my doctor my suboxone doctor was really trying to work with me he'd seen that I like Tate took like a really like a nosedive that last year and uh, I kept popped in dirty for meth and um he was really nice with me he's just like hey just come in next time and give me a clean ua and this happened eight times i could not (laughs) i could not stay clean for like two days off Mm -hmm. of meth i just could not do it and uh Mm -hmm. he finally had to kick me off and um so i had been getting you know most of my drugs for free and then now I have to go back to um you know hustling money and doing all the stuff to get drugs again and uh but my brain was so scrambled it's like everything that has helped me stay a drug addict this long was not working anymore it's like my brains were mush I couldn't um I couldn't keep like my thoughts together and another thing I used to do was I would um like when I was a functioning addict was I would go buy drugs and then mm-hmm. just use it as like half of it was my supply just to support my own habit. Well, by the time I got this bad, I'm like losing drugs and mm-hmm. I'm like losing money. And it's like, I don't have any intelligence anymore to even like manage my own things. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, nobody trusts me and everyone I'm around too is in psychosis is we all think each other is cops right. you, you know what i mean yeah, uh, we all have guns you know everyone's um psychotic you know and mm-hmm. um it's just a, like a scary place to be like yeah. all the time even when i got clean i have friends who thinks i like turned or something and it's like but it's like I remember that feeling because I thought that too before I before I got into treatment I thought everybody had turned on me and um mm-hmm. I mean everything just got really dark uh, everything always was dark but um that last year it was like something inside me was like you're gonna die 
and um, it wasn't just inside of me. Um, after I got kicked off of Suboxone, um, I I was like, all right, I'm I'm gonna try to just completely. I didn't want to go back to having to try to support my heroin habit again. Mm -hmm. I, and plus, I didn't have any intelligence to do it. I didn't have any sort of um. I, I just couldn't do it. I can't deal with anything anymore. I just know that I'm just... I tried to quit in that cabin. And, um... I, I kept having friends stop by the cabin. And, um... I, I don't know how I got the idea, but I ended up going to Anchorage. Thinking, because I know everybody in Fairbanks, and I know everyone in Seward, and Anchorage was kind of like a place where, um... I, I knew friends, but I actually didn't... Have, like have any really good friends that I could just use drugs with right mm -hmm. it's like my only safe kind of place but mm. I ended up just continuing drinking but I, I kept having like um weird heart episodes and I was like passing out and uh I kept waking up in the hospital and uh I I ended up in the police station a few times but yeah, when I was in Anchorage, so I got away from, uh, yeah, I'd actually got off the meth. This was the longest time I'd been off of meth in like, I don't know, 12 years or something, but I'm like drinking tons. Mm -hmm. And um, whenever I'm not, like if I go an hour or two without drinking, I was like shaking. Mm -hmm. bad yeah. I mean it was crazy like my whole body was like all, all like shaking all the time and um one of my friends is like you gotta go to detox and I was like no I don't need it I just need to you know drink for a little while longer and I'll be off of everything uh, I mean I you know in my mind I just think oh, right. I don't need detox again I had been to detox so many times in the past for like heroin use I just didn't see alcohol as like a legitimate need to go to detox right. and since I had been off the heroin and subs and meth for I don't know a couple of weeks but that was the longest time I'd ever yeah, been off it of it yeah it seems like forever to you at that point I'm sure. <laughs> yeah to me yeah. I'm clean right. I'm clean and like you know I'm good yeah <laughs> you made it yeah. <laughs> I made it but it's I'm all like... downhill from here <laughs> Yeah, but, like, by this time, it's, like, I am drinking so much alcohol, and I'm still not sleeping, you know? Like, mm -hmm. my, I don't know if it was from the bipolar or just from so long of meth use that mm -hmm. it's, like, I could not sleep. And um, I would, like, be sitting there awake, and I would be, like, oh, yeah, this had been going on for years, too. I would be, like, losing consciousness. Like I would like lose. It would be like daydreaming, mm -hmm. like when you're dreaming, but you're you're sitting there awake. And I was doing right. that all the time. I mean, that was how like I got rest. Mm -hmm. My brain would just shut down and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I was trying to stay in Anchorage. I I think I knew at this point I was like really not good physically. I mean, right. my my I was shaking all the time. My friend was like trying to get me in a detox and uh. In Anchorage, they got the Ernie Ernie, Ernie Turner, Turner Center. Center. Yeah. yeah, and um, I think the first time I got in there was like Christmas. Yeah, I spent Christmas and New Year's in there, or actually, the first time I went there that month, I went and I spent like a week there, and I detoxed. And uh, my friend, I had a sober friend who had just gotten recovery in Anchorage a couple years before that. 
she uh, picked me up and um, I was still shaking a bunch and even after um, I went to Serenity House I, I, I was shaking for like a month after I got clean because I'd been such a heavy user for so long that yeah. uh, it took a while for my body to get back to normal but um, I got picked up and she took me home but it was like since I didn't have any uh, therapy or treatment I, I just started using again yeah. I ended up in seward and I I mean I ended up with a needle in my arm like I mean right away I didn't you know I didn't have right. a home I'm homeless and mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't have any sort of sober support I didn't have any sort of community I, I really it's like I got clean just to help my body for a couple of days because it was mm. like I just went right back into where I was mm. and uh, I ended up couple pretty serious situations before I ended up in Serenity House was um I got arrested for something I don't remember what it was but I was in the cop shop and uh some other prisoner said something and um I was like handcuffed to the wall and um I like flicked my shoe off at the person's face because I was like really just a really just terrible person at this time I was always mm -hmm. violent and just um I was just always Plus doing probably, things that are just up. Probably going back into withdrawal at this point. Yeah. Honoring oh, this yeah. in jail. Probably Definitely. Not having <laughs> a good time. Yeah. yeah. And I kicked my you shoe know, off in this you. other... Yeah, I, I kicked yeah. my shoe off in this guy's face. And um, the cop said something to me. And I... Oh, yeah. And I got out of my handcuffs. And, um, and I, I thought it was funny or smooth or witty or something. But they threw me on the ground and was like you know they threw me in um this other part of the the, the other part of the cell is like a hole but for like short-term inmates it was just mm -hmm. like a freaking tiny closet right. oh man it's messed up it's yeah. really narrow it's like an old jail on like i think it's fourth avenue but it was like this little it's a it's like a little like closet space and it's concrete well i always kept things in my bra because I'm like a drug addict and that's just what like lots of girls do because cops mm -hmm. usually don't search there well I had a lighter in there and I caught my shirt on fire I guess they um they try to keep me in there forever but I was like so like terrified of being in that room I like caught my sweater on fire mm -hmm. so they threw me out and they were gonna uh charge me with something but they ended up giving me a breathalyzer and I blew like uh 4.0 or something and instead of charging me with anything they took me to the hospital and I actually and I was completely like um cognizant like mm -hmm. like um like I was totally like I remember this happened right. mm -hmm. and when I woke up I was handcuffed to the bed and I was just so like um freaked out and they kind of explained it to me that I wasn't in trouble but I really needed help really bad mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um my friend picked me up I got back on the list to go to detox again, and uh, this time they were like, hey, you know, you got to fill out applications to go to, like, some kind of treatment. Like, the, uh, one of my friends was trying to get me into, like, I think it was, like, a Salvation Army rehab in Anchorage or something, mm -hmm. and at this point, it's like, my brain really wasn't working. My friends had to do, like, most of the paperwork or even make these kind of decisions because I couldn't even do this, you right. know, and, uh, like, I mean, they even fill out, filled out all the paperwork for treatments for me, mm. and, um, I, it was just, like, taking too long to, for this to happen, I ended up back in Seward again, and, um, 
I think it was like the first or second time I ended up in the hospital too. During this time, I should have been taking heart medication, but it's like my brain was, it, it wasn't working. I had quit taking my heart medication, you know, I think in the last month from popping town to town. And uh, I ended up in the hospital because I like fell over or something. And um, the doctor told Seaview and Seward that I needed to get someplace because I wasn't gonna live if I didn't get into treatment like immediately. And I had like a whole bunch of vitamin deficiencies because I had been on meth for so long and I hadn't been eating. I had just been, you know, using drugs every single day for years now. And mm -hmm. it's like, I, I was deficient on like ma like major vitamins, like B12 and stuff, like it's a fatal vitamin deficiency. So I had all these, I mean, it was probably affecting my brain functioning too. That's probably why I couldn't think straight. You know, I'm shaking all the time. It's like I had a lot of major vitamin deficiencies. And uh, Seaview was talking to Serenity House, and I had to go to Serenity House, every, or I had to go to Seaview every single day to talk to uh, Sherry at Serenity House to see if I was willing to do what it takes to get into treatment. Mm -hmm. And at this time, I'm back on drugs because I like really at this point though my body needed drugs to even um yeah to function, to function yeah you know quitting and, at that point probably would have been fatal oh yeah so, it, it was yeah. definitely going to be fatal there's no I, I mean it was literally like without like detoxing properly or with help uh, yeah <laughs> yeah detoxing I, by yourself would have been dangerous at that point yeah like everyone that was around me was pretty much like letting me get what I needed to get in order to stay alive because yeah. it was like not too messed up to where I die or, you know, but it was yeah. like, it was just such a f messed up situation, you know? Yeah. And, um, I'm really lucky I had like my aunt there though. And it was really sad because every time I look back, I see her face and she's like, a couple of times she was like crying. Cause it's like, you know, it's kind of weird when people, like when I look back, I'm like, I can't even imagine like that was my life that I used to live you know what I mean because mm -hmm. it doesn't even feel normal right. you know like yeah. I really can't even picture myself like in that state mm -hmm. but it was like I was there and it was like it's not pretty you know and uh yeah, yeah so I, I don't have a family at this point I'm homeless and uh I, I spent a lot of my teenage years homeless so it was mm -hmm. almost like I don't know kind of like in in my I think when I was an addict I had a really feeling of like worthlessness to begin with right. mm -hmm. so it was almost like homelessness felt like a normal place for me to be right and uh since I really wasn't very good at like fitting into society like I never I had never been like really good at it to begin with so it was like being homeless kind of I don't know it was just it was just a weird place to be to homeless and just be in that level of crazy and uh, mm -hmm. and people taking care of me like I've always thought I was a smart person I always thought I had like good street smarts and it's like I I was in a place where it was like I was completely dependent on other people and uh yeah it sucked and uh well Serenity House was um they actually weren't going to take me they thought that I was too far gone like they didn't you know the doctors couldn't even say if I was gonna like survive or not you know mm -hmm. and uh I like I I wouldn't say I begged but I was just like please give me a shot Sherry I heard her on the phone and uh mm -hmm. 
I'm just like, please give me a shot. And I was like, I've never been in treatment. I've never been in um, inpatient treatment. I'm literally like, I like, I want to be in treatment. Like mm-hmm. nobody's making me be in treatment right now. Like I really, really, really just need a shot. And mm-hmm. um, and she said, okay, go go to detox one more time. I think that might have been my third time that month right. at Ernie Turner. Actually, kind of a funny story is they actually. I had to get an ID. Ernie Turner's address is my address on my ID. Oh, really? Yeah, it's so... <laughs> but I had been there three times that month, and I needed an address, but I had to use Ernie Turner's. But, yeah. um... Yeah, I... Yeah, ID. That's the important part. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, they... Oh, it's a crazy story, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to go get an ID. Oh, yeah, they. I, I had to go get all my prison photos in order to get into Serenity House because I didn't have any um, possessions anymore. Uh, one of the times I was in the Anchorage jail, they left my purse in there. I didn't even have eyeglasses. I literally went into um, Serenity House wearing scrubs from the Ernie Turner Center. And I had, like, a suitcase full full of, like, um, meth clothes that one of my friends in Anchorage um, sent me off with. It. I mean, it was crazy. Like, when I got to Serenity House, it, um, I was very, very, very thankful with the, I mean, with all the drug use and with the bipolar manias and stuff, it was like, um, I had to come back to reality. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, What was that process like? <laughs> it was, uh, it was terrifying. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, um, like, I could talk about it now, but for, like, the first month when I was in treatment, it was, like, I actually remember the moment that I came to, it was, like, it was, like, I'd look at my hands, and they weren't even, like, my hands. I didn't even, like, um, I'd look in the mirror, and it's, like, not my face. I mean, like, it, it sounds stupid, but um, I think people who have been in psychosis for a while know what I'm talking about. It's, like, Disassociation. Disassociation. It was like a derealization, depersonalization. I mean, like, I literally didn't even, like, somehow my brain had, like, like, I I, I felt I was, like, 30 pounds heavier. Like, I don't know how my brain jumped, but it was like I had lost, like, eight months. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just, like, I, yeah, everything was just messed up. It was, like dissociation for so long and it was like um I was in with like withdrawal still for like mm-hmm. a, a month I was like my hands were so sweaty and like um shaking and I just had I, I was filled with like anxiety and I had to be around mm-hmm. um you know 30 other people and I'd never really like all through my life I'd kind of like um never had to be in situations like that and uh Oh, it was just awkward, but I'm really glad it was like my, that was my uh, rock bottom because I couldn't go anywhere. I didn't have any friends and right. I was in a town that I didn't know, which is really great because if I was in Seward or Fairbanks, I, I you know, I could have left or, right. you know, did something. You could have walked out after your first day out and mm-hmm. known exactly where to go and what to do and, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, I didn't even know where the heck I was. Right. Like, I literally, like, I, it, it took me, like, I think six or seven months before I even realized, like, where Serenity House was on K Beach and stuff. Like, right. I just, it was, mm-hmm. um, 
it, it really worked out good like that it was really mm -hmm. cool because I it, it was really really hard to like come back to reality and just see what I had done with my life and the, you know there's a lot of people that aren't even drug addicts but that deal with bipolar and stuff and they mm -hmm. come back and they see like the messes that they have done and they have like so much shame and it's like I had not only like the drugs but like I've been like in the the drug and bipolar induced manias for so many years and it's like I I have like half a lifetime of like destruction that right. I have created what was that um that fourth step like for you uh, the making amends and such it actually actually I think I was about five months clean by then so it was like yeah. it, it wasn't it wasn't too it was embarrassing though yeah I mean the first like five months I mean I really they're say they say that there's a lot of people that you know commit suicide mm -hmm. you know and it's like I actually feel like I was telling my counselor that actually um I think that's why I got two counselors because I have I you know I'd made such a mess of my life and you know when I come clean I don't have my family you know, I mean, me and my husband are split up, getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't talked to my kids in like eight months. And, uh, oh, I just, I remember that feeling of just, it's like hopelessness. You know, yeah, it, it is hopelessness. Yeah, and yeah. not like that, it's like, even if I stayed clean, I f burned everything down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I just remember that feeling it's like such shame and like there's nothing in my life that tells me that I will be okay yeah, right you know like if I'm gonna stay clean you gotta really be doing that for you yeah this point. yeah I gotta ha really have a reason to stay clean mm-hmm and uh yeah so what is your mindset like uh, as you're going through this you know what I mean like since you've been in use, since you've been using for so long, at what point did recovery become less about like less about just like simply not using anymore and trying not to create some like recreate some of that destruction, and more of like being ready to address some of these uh, some of the wreckage in general. Um. I am so lucky. I had two girls from our hometown who ha both happen to be one of two of my really good friends, mm -hmm. like early in our lives. Two of them got clean. Right. And they had both been to Serenity House. And I didn't even know this before I went to Serenity House. Mm -hmm. So it was like uh, my counselor's like, oh, hey, do you know so and so? And I'm like, yeah, I do. That girl used to be my best friend, you know? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, we we used to be party buddies back like 20 years ago but she ended up getting clean like 12 years before that and I just like I can't even imagine my friend had 12 years clean right like just seeing that I have a friend that was as bad as me that I know was as bad as me maybe not in the mental health part but definitely the addiction part right. was like I, I know that she is doing good and she's like a pillar a pillar of the community mm -hmm. like just seeing that it was like wow that that's cool that's possible right. and then um the other friend she was a really good friend and she actually came to um serenity house and would come visit me and 
it felt really good because I didn't even have family members that were clean or sober. Right. So it was like, um, they, they just kept reassuring me like, you know what, just stay, don't worry about anything, just get better. Like mm -hmm. stay in the program and just do everything that they say. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that support seems to have been super important for you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Super important. Like, um. Yeah, definitely seeing my two friends. Oh, I'm so thankful for them. Um, different, yeah, definitely seeing them and just trusting them. St um, learning those little things that I thought were stupid, like the coping skills. Those were those were serious. Like getting yeah. rounded, right? Stuff like that. Yeah, I think. Um, I think that might be hard for people who ha don't have experience with. Um, not necessarily with people in addiction, but I guess sometimes it gets there, obviously, but, like, people who who just don't learn, the, like, learn coping skills when they're mm -hmm. kids, you know what I mean? And I think that's more people than we think sometimes. Yeah. But I like, think it's people that's not even addicts. Right, yeah. yeah. Like, I think, like, because I think if you know coping skills, mm -hmm. like, if, like, if it's, like, something that, like, you grow up with, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you're, like taught healthy coping skills without even really like recognizing that those are healthy coping skills like it's so hard to wrap your mind around like, yeah what that like people just don't know them you know what i mean or that don't learn them you know and i think that mm -hmm. has like that kind of plays into stigma a little bit too you know what i mean is that like people use a million and one ways to cope and if mm -hmm. like and i think a lot of us learn coping skills from our parents i you, think so too yeah you know, like from mm -hmm. like the environment we're in you know what i mean so like if you're if your parents' coping skills are drinking and using mm -hmm. drugs, and like you mentioned before, it's like, well, when I go enough, like, that's probably what I'll do too. I think part of that identity sets in, and then part of like, well, this is what we do, this is what we do, like, yeah. this is how we handle things, becomes like a very, like, eminent part of your, of your, of your being, really. But yeah, I think like, and I think that's something that's coming into, you know, the zeitgeist nowadays is like teaching your kids healthy coping skills. Yeah. The and, like, zeitgeist? Yeah. What does that mean? Just like into the general realm of thought, like oh, the collective okay. conscious of a certain like, peoples or space. Wow. It's yeah. using those college words. Yeah, it's German actually. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, Never yeah. mind. Yeah. Did Learned you say zeitgeist? Today. Yeah. Yeah, I like that word. Mm -hmm. What? You both know it? Great. Oh, man, I'm such an odd one Geniuses. out. Geniuses. I need to study up on my German yeah. vocabulary. Didn't thank Eric for that one, I'm sure. Good time. <laughs> But yeah, I think like that's like, like teaching your kids healthy coping skills. Cause I just don't think like really even the, like the term coping skills, I think that's a thing of like the last 30 years, really. Like I have never once heard my grandmother mention a coping skill. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's yeah, true. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I think, and I think that's super cool to me to see that like, as like that that's becoming a thing yeah. it's so important it i think that's is. one of the big misunderstandings of like people that are using you know as like yeah. some people are just like why would people even like why would people use drugs you know what i mean like instead like, of dare why don't they you know teach everybody healthy coping skills and like boundaries or something yeah oh my gosh those two would take a right huge yeah. huge step for a lot of people you could do that as part of like a like a health like course you know, or I mean, just those two boundaries coping skills and boundaries yeah boundaries hey dude, you could probably do a whole thing on boundaries alone mm -hmm. and i think that's a big oh, one yeah. too but yeah no i think that's i think that's super cool 
Yeah, and that's a, a good note for anyone who's listening who maybe feels like that there isn't hope for them, that they had, don't have the skills to reintegrate into a life that's worthwhile. Because you so often hear these people saying, uh, who, who are in recovery, that they had to build a life for themselves that was worth, you know, working this hard for. But if you start with, like, almost nothing, it's really hard to get what is what does an ideal life even look like? You know, if, right. you, if you haven't experienced it, or you, you don't know what you're looking for, or you don't feel like you have the skills to know that there are resources out there that won't just be like, oh, okay, we're going to get you off of whatever that, you know, you're, you're stuck on here, and then we're just going to turn you loose and help you figure life out. But no, luckily, there's a way more con- comprehensive uh, set of instructions that even if you're really behind the curve because you never learned those things, that you can learn them, and you can mm-hmm. work through even the emotions of of trying to do something that other people have done a million times, but to you super hard. I mean, I'm sure that, that came up, and just having people, like counselors or, or support people with you saying, hey, I went through that, or, or that's totally normal, and getting that reassurance and that support, I feel like that's huge. I definitely feel like that was one of the... Um the biggest helps was the peer support like mm-hmm. uh, oh and the peer support counselor at serenity house happened to be from my hometown too cool. so it was perfect. so yeah, it house. felt like the perfect little like safe nest for me to actually get better mm-hmm. and you know what now i think about it not that, now that i think about it but i'm really glad that me and my husband and my kids were split up it was like the perfect it, i had no reason to not stick with treatment and I didn't have to worry about anybody except for myself Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. for once to get better you know it was like that I remember that being my excuse to never do inpatient before because I'd always go to uh, outpatient I went to outpatient like four times I'd been to detox like eight times Mm -hmm. but I had never went to inpatient because it was like I I couldn't so it was like it was like a perfect recipe sucks that and ended up that crazy and that close to death but it was it was like the the little part that could just like it just Make worked it all happen. yeah it's yeah. important yeah and i think that's like especially with people with, with people and i think it's kind of like you're talking about so i think it's sometimes even more hidden with some of these seemingly more subtle uh, substances like alcohol mm. you know what I mean like I wonder I always like wonder to myself not always I guess that's a big word but, um, <laughs> I wonder to myself occasionally like how many like parents or you know people with a lot of responsibilities are actually like are dealing with alcoholism and like are convincing themselves or just that they don't have like the time or space to be able to like do something like a treatment thing you know yeah. I got all this stuff to do or like using it as a justification like yeah. I have all this stuff to do you know what I mean and like I have like all this responsibility like I and it's really not that big of a deal it just snowballs mm-hmm. you know it's not really that big of a deal obviously I'm doing fine with all the stuff I'm doing you know mm-hmm. and, and and actually thinking about it not throwing Keegan under the bus or nothing but um there was times where I remember being like, you know what, I need I need to go to treatment. And it was like, no, we can't do that right now. We don't have time. And, uh, you know, I, it's like, and that's before it got bad. Right. But it's like, I, there's some things where it's like, you know if you need help. But it's like, 
yeah, especially like as a mom or if you have other responsibilities, like if somebody, you know, had a job they had to take care of or something, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. you're always going to put yourself last Mm -hmm. unless it's like. Yeah. And my counter argument to that would be like, honestly, if you took that, you know, even like in your case, that, that four months, eight years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? And obviously, like, it just doesn't happen like that. And so, like, think about it that way. I know in my way is, like, flawed, you know. But for people that are in that situation now where you're thinking, oh, I just don't have the resources to get help or I don't have the time to get help. Or I get have help, help now. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like, eventually it's going to get to that last yeah. year point, you know, where push comes to shove. And if you want, if you want the life that, like, recovery is offering it's going to be more beneficial in the long run to like take that leap now. And I know like the other flip side of that too is like some people just aren't ready. You know, it's like yeah. you make those justifications cause you're not ready. And like, I understand that too. Yeah. But if there's someone on the fence right now, that's leaning either way and is kind of, you know, thinking they might like do it cause now's the best time. It, it never gets better. No. Right. I mean, like, it, when you're out there, it never gets better. When you have, like, an addiction, it's going to continue to get worse. Mm-hmm. You might not have any idea how bad it's got. I mean, yeah. you get used to it, and, you know, we've heard so many stories about people getting used to just crazy situations yeah. that just becomes normal because it happens enough days in a row, and just like, oh, that's that's life now. It doesn't have to be like that. Mm-hmm. And so whatever, what have been some of, like, the key highlights of the recovery process for you so far? Like, some things that, like, you've been really excited about that you've gotten through recovery? Uh, I, th- I think the first was my brain came back. Uh, mm. Like, I, I, it was smushed for so long. I, uh, I mean, I, it was hard to even comprehend, like, a sentence. I mean, people would mm-hmm. be talking, and I it was really hard to comprehend anything. So it's like I, I, I couldn't read books even, like, even our, like, uh, books that we have to read in treatment and stuff. I could not read books for, like, four months. But it was about, like, eight or nine months clean. I just started thinking really crisp. Mm-hmm. And I, I started getting excited about life again. Mm-hmm. And, uh started making plans my my mind just got really positive I started to get really positive when I started to trust like recovery mm-hmm. and and actually I think one of the big things was being able to drop my old identity and I think yeah. that's something that it's really hard to struggle with like like the first two years it, I mean it, it was a real like struggle with the identity you know like with your old life and the life that you're building now and um think like once you lay down your old identity it it gets really easier you know it gets easier and I think um things just go smoother sounds like you don't have to fight yourself as much because if you believe you're like oh I'm I'm just an addict and and that's how life's going to be and if you honestly believe that then these changes that you're trying to making is gonna it's not going to fit in with that image you have of yourself so it's going to feel bad. Like, I imagine it feels bad at first just being like, who am I anymore? But then once you kind of find a new identity, 
especially when all your friends are still using, you know, and I think it was like that survivor's thing that we were talking about earlier. It's like, it feels bad to be a survivor. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. like I remember uh, when one of my friends got clean, I, it's like in my head, I was like, they think that they're better than us because that's the way the, you know, the using crowd acts. So like, look at that got Mm -hmm. clean, you know, know. they think they're better than us. So it was like, I, I was feeling like, you know, um, like my using friends were my family growing up. So mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't just like losing some friends I had just made while I was using drugs. It was like these were people that like I have relationships with since I was, you know, a young kid. These were my family. So it really hurt to like have to meet all new people and stuff, but um and actually it did feel re- weird. You have to grieve like your old life. Yeah. and your old friendships and I, you know it's like I have to um, like the, the two times that I relapsed it was actually with old relationships and mm-hmm. it was like I, I didn't realize how much of a hold it had on me but it was like once I was willing to say if I want to live I'm going to have to I have to not be around these people until they enter my world until mm-hmm. they enter recovery because that's, mm-hmm. that's safe yeah, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, it's it's not safe for me because I I still love these people, mm-hmm. you know. And if they want to get clean, I'll totally like I will take them to detox myself. But mm-hmm. you know, until they're on the same road, or if they if they want help, I, I would totally help all my. Actually, I have helped some of my friends, mm-hmm. but um, but like the ones that are like actively using, I obviously I'm just that's not my world anymore. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but you know, when you're first clean, it's it's like. These are still your people. These, you know. Right. And, yeah. and it's like, yeah. you miss that. Mm-hmm. Of course. And. Yeah. And I think, like, I think that's another hard thing that, like, kind of adds to stigma, too, that's hard for people to wrap their minds around, you know, like, that don't have any of that experience is, like, because, like, the common thought would be, like, well, why would you miss something that was terrible, you know? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I feel like just in a from a very personal place like you do like yeah. it doesn't matter how bad it was like mm-hmm. there are like spaces and moments that like you miss and you just do you know like you're living a nightmare but you're in this nightmare together right yeah like i i, I mean it's like i don't want to like romanticize it but it's like yeah there are little moments like right. that and and I, yeah i think like people in recovery like we have to like frame it in a way that's like obviously this was never good yeah and it's irrational that I missed this you know what I mean mm-hmm. like and you and you like but it doesn't take away from the very like real feeling that like you do miss it you yeah know? and whether like and the only difference is you have the cognitive ability to be like but it wasn't good yeah you know so I'm not going back you know and that's definitely why like community and like uh, NA and AA are important because it's like while your brains aren't working right and you don't have this wisdom yet these the people that are around you that are helping you stay safe they'll tell you like if you have a I feel like hanging out with my friend or call my friend they'll be like bad idea right Where, you know you'd be the judgment yeah. for you while you're developing that yes. yeah it's not something you've been practicing mm-hmm. yeah it's like oh that feels good let's go mm-hmm. yeah I mean helping to teach you some of those skills that you're hadn't learned before oh here's another question uh that i had what have been some of the most rewarding experiences so far in your recovery uh, whether internally or just out in the world 
Um, I think my first one was I, all my actions started matching my values, mm-hmm. which I've I don't think I've ever had in my whole life. Um, I like I've been able to maintain like control in my life and of myself and yeah that's just been super awesome you know and mm-hmm. um i think that's a cool uh concept to touch on you know especially for in like its relations to stigma you know it's like when people see people who are in their uh, active addiction you know doing things that like i mean you would never dream of doing now you know and it's not that these people like don't value you know first of all their time right a lot of these like for the mind of seemingly immediately like jumps to crime right like their time like obviously we grow up knowing like that stealing is bad yeah you know or like things just random general things like that mm-hmm. it's not like these people are doing it like because they don't like you for the most part you yeah. know what i mean sometimes maybe but like it's not because like they don't like you or there's like have a grudge against you you know it's like i think like once we like take that approach as people who aren't like in our active addictions or aren't don't have any experience with that at all I think like man the like kind of like we mentioned before but i think it's so important to talk about like the grip that like this must have for somebody to do some of the things that people do when they're in their active addictions you know like and their values probably aren't that oh, you know yeah. what i mean that's like not like walking out on your children and stuff you know yeah. i mean it's like even things that bother us but it's like we continually do these things right and it's like we have no control. I mean, it's like we have, I, I mean, you could say we got a little bit of control, but it's like our addiction is literally driving our lives. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and it feels like there's almost nothing that we could do to stop it. Right. I think it's just a lot of points, you know, where it's like that kind of is your life, really, you know, like, like that's kind of becomes your value system, really, yeah. you know. And so it's cool to see like this value system evolve to where it's like, you know, I've always kind of had these values, but like you said, the behaviors never matched. Oh, yeah. And so I, now I, it's got to be a pretty, like, rewarding feeling to be like, oh, man, I did all these things a day. And, like, oh, it's that was, like, crazy. Pretty... Uh, I had a friend last week actually say that I was her most stable friend and, I, the, like, the, the one that doesn't really have a crisis going on. And I just, like, really couldn't believe that she was saying that to me. Like, um... <laughs> Yeah, it feels like imposter syndrome, but, you know, if I look back, it's like, wow, my life has been so stable the last couple of years. I mean, I could have never imagined that I would have a life where I I, I, I love my life. Like, it, it's, like, f- totally fulfilling. I feel like I have purpose. Um, all my actions match up with, like, you know, what I love and what I care about. I mean, it's really, like, empowering and... Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's a really awesome feeling that I never thought that was possible with me. So when you weren't acting according to your values, usually in psychology that causes what's called cognitive dissonance, where you're not doing, doing what your values are. So it creates like internal strife, you know, it kind of stresses you out. Did you have moments like that in your addiction? Was that a constant thing? Were there like moments of lucidity where you thought, this isn't really, I'm not doing my values at all here, but you know, I, I'm not going to change at this point. Like, did, yeah. did that ever go through your head? Oh, definitely. It, I mean, it, I think it drove me deeper into my addiction because, you know, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't handle anything. I knew I couldn't face anything. Mm-hmm. I also didn't feel like I had control over any of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
yeah I, I mean it just it really did have an impact for the worse you know because mm-hmm. I, I de- it definitely drove me deeper into it and um and it hurt you know because it's mm-hmm. like I, I did love my children mm-hmm. you know I, I did love my husband I just I knew that I couldn't pick them over drugs because in in my head it's like drugs were survival right. and you know people who don't have an addiction it's like they just see oh they're you know ditching their children they're doing that or mm. but it's like in our head we're, we're it's always survival it's mm-hmm. always you know i literally can't survive without this drug so it mm-hmm. becomes the thing that you put ahead of everything and mm-hmm. yeah it really was a struggle yeah. and you know what? I'm, i actually want to take that just a step deeper if you're comfortable talking about this because i'm curious mm-hmm. is when when it's focused on survival is that because at some point when when the drug isn't there that the withdrawal makes you not want to live or like the experiencing life in itself without that doesn't feel worth it or is it more like it's just a huge priority in your head but both it's like um like with the suboxone and heroin the opiate mm-hmm. addiction is so bad i mean if i go like four hours without having it i would immediately like my legs are crawling i'd be sweating puking mm-hmm. and wow. and then there's also the mental that is like you're literally tortured like you know it it just i don't know you know it, it it's mm-hmm. literally like it feels like the worst feeling in the world like you literally will spend your life running away from that feeling of, of withdrawal right and so that's that's the reason that we say uh you don't have to do it alone places like serenity house and and places like inpatient treatment where the detox you, center yeah exactly mm-hmm. you don't have to go through that because that is such a huge i feel like a huge block in the process mm-hmm. of, of coming out of it is having to fight i mean it feels like your body is imploding so it's good to have the support you need to oh, yeah. go through that. Yeah. Definitely. Having support is like the biggest thing. I mean, people go into detox all the time. And if you, if you don't have some sort of system or, you know, therapy or some kind of help afterwards, it's, it's really hard to stay clean. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a couple steps that really helped you out during your recovery. Yeah. In the 12 steps like especially in treatment we do the first second and third step and that's pretty much admitting you're powerless and turning your life over to a higher power or to god and i learned all this stuff in treatment but i really didn't get to experience it until my first relapse and i just i realized even with all my therapy with my nine months clean you know i would got my family back i i didn't have the uh I didn't want to stay clean. I wanted to use drugs, but I also, I love my children. I didn't want to keep going back out. So I did what I'd been learning in therapy for eight months in treatment that um, I started praying and I'm like, God, you got to change me. Um, There's no way I'm going to be able to stay clean by myself. It's like impossible for me. I really just need your help. And I started praying to God and literally just be like, change me I need to be changed I don't want anything to do with my old self just change me and I'm telling you he like (laughs) like totally uh, it's like he lit a fire inside me and uh, like all of a sudden I had purpose and I'm not even joking it was it was almost like overnight almost like um I just started getting like supernatural help to um 
I, I started wanting, um, you know, all these good things in my life, and I um, quit wanting to get high, and uh, I, I'm telling you, things just changed when I turned my life and my will over to God. They right. just, they completely changed, and, um, and, and it was like, instead of being in recovery, kind of, like, in my head alone, I felt like mm -hmm. I had the creator to give me, if I don't have strength to, you know, walk through the day or trying to be a mom, I know God was going to give me the power to do it, because he doesn't want to see me go back out either, you know, I just feel like mm -hmm. God is good, and if you're, you know, if you're trying to you know, change your life, he's going to help you. And mm -hmm. it just mm -hmm. really, I, I think that is what seriously changed my recovery was um, turned my life and will over to God. Yeah, definitely. And you know that part that you mentioned of really surrendering and aligning basically what you, in that moment, your values got restructured as well. You know, oh, yeah. if, if you could have seen your priority list written on a piece of paper, I feel like getting high would have moved just basically to the bottom. Yeah. And it had always kind of been at the top. And I don't even know if you knew that, at least in your head. You know, you mm -hmm. probably knew that somewhere deep inside you. But it's kind of hard to reflect when you're consumed. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a real yeah, eye-opener yeah. for you. Yeah. And it was really cool because I've heard people say, you know, oh, I turned my will over to God. But... And sometimes when you're, you know, in treatment, you don't understand it and we're, we're just kind of rolling with it. But mm -hmm. it was like when I was really confronted with it after relapsing and seeing my value system like clear as day out in front of me. Mm -hmm. It was like, all right, this is where I turn my will over to God. And, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that's Definitely. cool. Yeah, I think that's kind of paradoxical, right? Like just and I, it's not i mean obviously this might even just get cut this is just a thought i just had <laughs> All right. but um um like it's kind of paradoxical in the sense that when you're talking about like man when i was in my active addiction i had like no control right yeah. over what i was doing and then you're like man and now i surrender and i turn my will over and now I feel like yeah. I'm kind of walking this walk, and I'm feeling pretty totally. good about it. You know, like I, like <laughs> so I literally it's... all of a sudden felt like I I do have choices, mm -hmm. and it's a choice now if I'm to go back out. Right. Yeah. Like I'm not. Um, I'm. There's not this like invisible force controlling me anymore. It was really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's really cool to that that kind of just like happens. You know, and it's like always. I feel like. That's like super stereotypical, right? But like when you almost least expect it. You oh know? yeah. But um. Like when you think it's over, but it's really just like the beginning. Yeah, yeah. You're like, man, I really messed up, and like I may or may not have ruined my life. But I mean, that's obviously like every time you ruin your life, you ruin your life, right? You know, yeah. it's like you ruin your life six, seven times, and still probably be out okay at the end. But you're like, and then this kind of is like, you know no it's really like just beginning you know like this is really where your life actually takes off is in this moment of realization right now that like this isn't working and yeah. like we're gonna do this we're gonna do it together and you're gonna make it and like today's the day so let's go you know that's like yeah. a, it's always cool to see those experiences like play out oh yeah like if anybody's like on the fence right now thinking like their life is over or whatnot there's 
there's always hope. I'm serious. There's miracles, like, just waiting for people to, like, grab them, grab onto them, you know? Like, mm -hmm. there's, al there's always hope. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it's, I mean, it's so amazing that there is such a good recovery community here. Um, mm -hmm. Like, I, I, I don't think I could have... Honestly, I don't think I could have stayed clean in Fairbanks or Seward or Anchorage even, you know, mm -hmm. like, um, he and I just has the, it's got a really big recovery community too. Like I heard it's really like the best in the state and I believe it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's really, um, if there's anybody that is thinking about getting clean, they should totally, you know, find a community. Mm -hmm. And we got a place right here in this community. Yeah, Serenity House. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the intake office is at two forty-five <laughs> North Binkley. Two forty-five North Binkley Street, yeah. and we got a number for him. Come. Yeah, phone number over there is going to be nine zero seven seven one four four five two one. And obviously, everyone at the intake office, they'll listen to you, and you know they'll. They'll help you out, get you where you need, where you need to go. Um, also, around the community, if you just want to, if you're not, if you don't think you're ready um, for that quite yet, uh, there's also AANNA uh, in both the Sodotna and Kenai communities. I know they have, I don't, do you know where to find meeting information? I know they have like AA.org and NA.org, right? Yeah, you can, you can even and just. And the, there's also the URS club in Kenai. If they go there, they mm -hmm. got like brochures and stuff yeah the urs club yeah cool yeah so that information is out there and you know everyone that we talk to for the most part on these is a part of that community uh part of the na and or aa community pop in um even if you don't speak uh when you're there just pop in listen make some connections start building that support network and you know there's a lot of people there that'll help you get you get you to where you want to be. There's a lot of people that have been where you're at. There's a lot of people who have been where you're at and more importantly gotten through it. There's a lot of people that want to help you. That are like mm -hmm. waiting for you to come in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Roby, thank you very much for coming and talking to talking recovery with us today. Mm -hmm. I'm very excited to have you on. Um, your story's amazing, honestly. Um, this was you and I for the keynote.